What's the best site in India? The Taj Mahal, the Golden Temple? For Rintwa, it's his market stall. Some years ago, he lost his sight and then his job. I'm Lisa from Specsavers and we help the Hope Foundation provide eye care in Kolkata. Rintwa was found to have cataracts. The charity performed surgery, which gave him his vision back. He regained confidence and returned to work. Find out how we're changing people's lives for the better at specsavers.ie. I'm Gary Cook, and you're listening to Trailblazers. Brian Kerr is one of Ireland's best-loved football personalities. He rose to national prominence when he took the Ireland under-20s to the under-20 World Cup semi-finals in 1997. One year later, he went one better, leading the Irish under-18s to glory winning the Youth European Championships. For the first of a two-part interview, uh, it's a huge privilege for me to welcome the Pied Piper of Irish football, Brian Kerr. Thank you very much for joining me, Brian. That's some introduction, Gary. There's some spoofer. But anyway, we walk away. Um, listen, it has to be, it has to be uh, at least truthful. You are the Pied Piper of Irish football and you are one of Ireland's best-loved, uh, best-known uh, celebrities, or football uh, celebrities or pundits or whatever you like to call it. I think that's uh, undoubtedly true. Are you aware of the fact that a lot of people relate to you and like you? Um, not really, because I wouldn't be a follower of uh, s social media where most, most of the action seems to take place these days. So I wouldn't hear the, the good, the bad, or, or, or the loads of the ugly that's probably out there <laughs> about me. So, um, but I there just, isn't, Brian. I just get on with it and, and I'm happy to have kind of, you know, Changed into that role over the years, where I'm, I'd be considered whatever it is, an analyst or pundit or whatever, rather than the manager. I much prefer the role as the manager and the coach, which I did for many years. Even the, the previous role I had as a lab technician in UCD. So I've had kind of, although they were all rolled into one, um, through my lifetime in many ways between working. And, in UCD, coaching and managing football teams, doing some media work in relation to football mostly. Um, now I kind of accept that that's my role. And I'm, I'm happy enough with it. And if people kind of think I give some information that's relevant to the game and that they think it's it's honest and fair and informed and, and the people who employ me think that too I'm, I'm, I'm happy enough with that, that <laughs> yeah, as you say I'm still getting a gig <laughs> well that may be the way you see it Brian but um, I can assure you many people uh, see it see it differently I you're, you're kind of up there with Giles he really is as a kind of uh, avuncular I know <laughs> you are uh, in terms of how you're seen as uh, as a as a guy that feels like the nation's uncle, you 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 definitely are. That's what I think, anyway. But sure, what does it matter? You're what very I think? kind. <laughs> okay, uh, we are coming today from uh, an area in uh, Kimmage in Dublin. Now, this is not far from where you grew up, where you made your first forays into football management. 
No, um, I mean, I'd have a great identification with this area. I lived in Drimna, I lived just beside the, the Crumman Hospital. Many people would know it from delivering their kids there for rescue or uh, for to get the cough, cough bottle out of their stomachs that they drank too much <laughs> of or they overindulged in the t loose tablets around the house. Anyway, I lived beside Crumman Hospital and uh, I played a lot of sport and, f and football in particular in, in the field at the back of the hospital. Um, and but then I graduated to playing with I played a game or two for St John Bosco in Drimna, and then I went and played for a team called Rialto, whose home ground was was Somerville Park in in Crumlin. Uh, we kind of reformed from Rialto to start Crumlin United, which would have been in nineteen sixty eight. I think was our first team, and I I I played on the very first team Crumlin United had, but I also started to manage a team. I was playing under 15 and I started an under 13 team in uh, for Crum United and I managed that team, managed various teams for Crum United for about six or seven years. But it, the players would have been from around this area at all. That, I mean, I would have had, I would have had some lads from Drimna who come up across the, the Crumman Road, across the main road there opposite the Star and up the laneway at the side of the Star into Pierce Park. But majority of the players would have been from around where we are now, around Stanaway Road, Clannard Road, Windmill Road, Windmill Park, um, down as far as Legland Road even at, at times. So I was used to pounding the beat around here, searching for searching for the right players, but also making sure they knew the arrangements for the matches for the weekend. Training would have been religiously Tuesday and Thursday, somewhere where there was a 40-watt bulb and a bit of level ground. Not necessarily not necessarily grass, but but once there was a bit of light during the winter months, we we trying, sometimes in the field in Drimna that I mentioned earlier, sometimes in the side of Pierce Park, anywhere where there was a patch with a, with a little bit of light. And that was Tuesday, Thursday, and then there was the games the weekend, Saturday when it was up to under 14 football, Sunday under 15. And then I was trying to combine that with playing as well myself. Were you a good player? And I was decent enough, you know, I, I would have had trials for the Scooby International team and been found guilty and never asked around again. But I was I I was a I was a handy enough player, you know, in school I would have been um you know, one of the force picks. Maybe I was force picked because I owned the ball, but uh <laughs> I I I was good at Gaelic, uh Gaelic football. I was probably maybe even better. I found that very easy and I wasn't too bad at the Horland either. I actually scored three goals in a Horland final, not too far from where we are, Gary, you know, Till Park one day for the school in a Horland final, but uh, all were with my left foot, so it was hence known as Christy Brown. Never after that, but uh, <laughs> I I did score three goals in the hurling final. We, we got beaten by a point, but um, I I yeah, soccer wise, I was I was quite good, and I went to Shelbourne when I was seventeen to play on a a, a very esteemed under seventeen team. There, uh, three of us went off the same team from Crumlin. Harry Vokes, still a good friend of mine, and, and Desi Bourne, who helped me manage the teams at Crumlin. And we went to Shelbourne, and it was a really good team. We won the, the DDSL 17A, which was top division that year, and we won the cup as well, the Blakely Cup, which I'm proud to say I scored in the final um, against St. Joey's. And that final was actually played in, in Somerville Park, which was my old stomping ground. And then I played youth with Shelbourne, 
I had a, a season in, in the B team um, at Shells, but I was managing and coaching all the time and, and that kind of probably distracted me, but I kind of realised that I wasn't going to play at the level I, I would have loved to play at, that I hadn't quite... Which was to, what? what level I'd look at, you know, I would have loved to play in England. I would have dreamed of playing for Ireland. I would have dreamed of playing for Pats. I would have... You know, I would have loved to get into the first team at Shelbourne, but there was a lot of good players around, and and I I probably wasn't quite good enough. I wasn't physical enough, maybe. Uh, what position did you play? Wherever I got a game, which is always where I say that when I talk to kids now, when I see kids always, and I ask them where they play, and they they usually say striker, and I say no. The answer to that one is wherever the manager picks you, and you get a game, right? <laughs> so I played. I would have been a. I would have been a. An inside left, an all inside left. I, I was decent with me left foot. I could play wide left, wide right. And I, I, that season actually with Shelbourne, I played centre forward when we were under centre under seventeen for a long time until they signed the, the youth international semi centre forward Tommy Bray. But I, I played centre forward for a good bit as well. So I played kind of. Anywhere across the front lines, they say now when they pay sixty million for a, for a striker, he can play anywhere across the front. I, I, they didn't pay any, didn't pay sixty pence for me for shells, but I played anywhere across the front for them reasonably well. In, okay, in so team. so you were you were a, a, a quote unquote a good player, not necessarily a, a great, great player. player. Oh. Okay. Um, and it sounds as well that from a very young age, you also naturally gravitated towards management as well. Yeah. And you were, you were quite committed as a as a teenager, uh, yeah. coaching an under 13. So you must have had a love for for just Yeah, I, I, I don't know how, how that, that came about, I think, in the, in, around in the field in Trimnet, where I would have been good at, at levelling up the sides. You know, when you play those small sided games mm. on the street with, 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 with the kids on the road and that, and I'd have been good at levelling up the teams from the off so that the score lines wouldn't piss anyone off and kids walk home and go go back run around to their man and complain they couldn't get a kick of the ball or they went home for their dinner and the sides would be totally unbalanced. I always, I don't know how I got it, but I had a knack for picking the sides and... Uh, and averaging them out well, if there was two big fellas, you know, divide them up and a small, small fella with each team to wait till two more come, divide them out. And I, I had that knack. I don't know where that came from, but in um, even in, in the schoolyard, I, I know I had I had something about, you know, making making the, the, the teams right. And So you had some kind of natural, um, I suppose, mediation quality... <laughs> Diplomatic quality, <laughs> leadership qualities uh, that you, you you kind of you kind and of you're made exaggerating it all Well, there, that, that's what it sounds like. I had so I, I don't know where it came from, but I mean, like my dad was, you know, he was a, he was a boxing coach. He was lots of things. He was a famous boxer. I was used to going around to gyms with him at of various standards and um I'm, I'm from different um, backgrounds, I suppose, like the boxing club in Drimna. In St. John Bosco initially, and in Trinity College, he coached in Trinity College, he coached the Jewish boxing club, he coached Polykovs, which was a tailoring company. And I was used to going around to various little events and seeing what went on, but I don't know if I absorbed something from that that gave me a basis for, 
organisation and get making sure th the players turned up on time and making sure there was a little bit in the training content that helped us to to win a few matches and also some of those skills you talk about mediation diplomatic uh, skills I don't I didn't ever see it that way but maybe they were part of it social skills in terms of like when I think of it now I as a 15 16 year old would have been bringing maybe 14, 15, 16 kids from around this area off to Sally Noggin to play St. Joseph's uh, two buses, a bus into town, a bus out there. When you think parents trusting you to do that now, there's no way any parent would trust a young fellow of my age to do that properly and, and do it that the kids weren't in any danger. But it was a different time as well. But that was sort of, now I would have had somebody always with me. I would have had, you know, either Desi Bourne who played with me or Miles Davern, Brendan Finnegan, various lads that I knew around the area. They might have been a couple of years older than me. But that's what we did. And those kids all got time on the pitch and I think a bit of discipline as well. I understood about discipline myself and, you know, little standards of behaviour as well towards other people when we were travelling and making sure they had a bus fare. But if they hadn't got it, I'd have enough to make sure they got on them off the bus. You know, so it was a great time, great learning experience for me, but much more important than stuff like school and exams and maybe even myself as regards development as a as a player. I actually enjoyed that, the, the involvement of being with, with him and that you could affect the result and reflect their performance and reflect maybe affect their little esteem among their mates and so on that they played sure. for that team. So I enjoyed that from from an er, an early stage and it it, it kind of led me that I wasn't that upset that I wasn't doing great as a player when I was say eighteen, nineteen, and twenty. You know, I, the, even the managers I had with the teams I played for, I knew that I was managing the underage teams. I knew that that was very important to me and gave me a little bit of leeway to do that well. And I was learning from them as I went along, those managers, the various, my man, Jerry Morden, lovely man, and Jerry Doyle was manager of the first team in Shells. And oh, just loads of blokes, Pat Quinn, uh, Tom Rowan, who was the, the the kind of secretary of Shelbourne. I used to get lifts home from these people and listen to them talking about football. And then, you know, I was fortunate enough to come across Giles when I was a young man through uh, through Tui. I, I met Tui, like I was, well, I was 20 when I met Tui. Mm. And Tui was the manager of the national team. And he asked me to manage... Shamrock Rovers youth team when I was 20 years of age. I could have played as a banger myself because I was, I was small. And then, you know, uh, and the people used to say that to me, you the manager? And I said, yeah, I'm the manager. And he said, I think you're one of the players. But I, through kind of that, through knowing Tui, I learned an awful lot about the game and you'd meet, meet Giles when, when he came back here in 70, around 77 time and he'd be at matches, he'd be out watching his own sons playing or whatever, meeting, meeting them at a match up in Bluebell one day, standing watching a, um, a youth match, I think it was in Bluebell. But through that, and Noel O'Reilly eventually, I, I, I met great people and Eamon Duffy, Ray Tracy, those fellas that were part of that Rovers team, mm. Paddy Mulligan, and they all became kind of friends of mine as time goes on. But I learned from listening to them and, um, you know, absorbing little bits of, of something that helped me uh, to become a, a reasonably decent coach and manager, I suppose. Sponsored by Expressway. 
With MyExpressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations. Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text. Plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones. Make friends with innovation. I, uh, my daughter once asked me what I actually did for a living because she wasn't clear. Uh, and uh, I asked myself that question. I said, I'm a kind of comic actor, uh, but part of my job is to do impressions of people like Johnny Giles. Uh, but the upside of that was I met him on several occasions when I'd be going for coffee in RT and he'd just talk about football for 45 minutes. Yeah. Nonstop. Now, you know, it wasn't my place to express my opinions. opinions. It's one of the greatest privileges of my life to have 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 been in a conversation about football with John Giles. And when they say don't meet your heroes, do meet your heroes. He was, he was, what was he like when you were, he must have been. Well, he was a hero of mine because I was going to matches in the (laughs) 60s when he was playing in the international team. And, you know, through the 70s, and when he was running the game as an international player in the middle of the field, you know, controlling those international matches against high-class opposition. Like at that time, we weren't playing Andorra and Malta and Gibraltar. There weren't so many countries around and they were all strong football ball nations but Giles ran the game in the middle of the pitch whoever who was playing in there with him whether it was Dunphy who was there at times with him or later later on when it became we became better and with the likes of you know maybe more high class players the highway was around the middle of the field and just better quality when mm-hmm. Liam Brady came along as the young lad in the first famous games with, with Russia USSR and Turkey but what was he like I mean that was my image of him and then he came to Shamrock Rovers and he was the manager of Shamrock Rovers and I got to know Noel O'Reilly who was working with him as he was helping out with the B team and helping out with the coaching and I used to sneak out of my lab work with UCD in Belfield because Rovers were training in UCD in Belfield they used to use the all-weather pitch the hockey pitch where the sports centre is now or else they train over the far side of the campus and I used to sneak out on my say my tea break 11 o'clock I might go a bit early and go over and watch the training yeah. and at the far side of the campus just to see what was going on because it was a professional setup, there was nobody training in the daytime in Ireland at that time. Football yeah, the Shamrock Rovers experiment was really at, at that, that stage time, was a yeah. full time. So I, thing. I, I saw, you know, I saw a bit, piece of that. Then, I was, of course, I was managing, I was managing Shelbourne's B team. 78, 79 and they were in the like their B team was, was, was Dunphy was player manager of the B team Ray might be playing Mulligan could be playing mm. but they had started this apprenticeship thing where they had the full time young players Jim Beglin uh, Pierce O'Leary great mate of mine Kira Maher Dave Henderson Liam Buckley felt a lot of lads Roddy like Collins was, or not Roddy yeah Roddy Collins was part of that as well was he I don't remember I Roddy being was. part of it he might I have been he might have been but 
I, I don't think he was part of the initial bunch they had, but you know they would have been the B team, um, and the, the young likes of Richie Bailey and, and Jim Begg, the young lads, 1670 and Kieran Maher, they were really good players, and they, these experienced players playing with them as well, the Eamon himself playing, and it was great for me taking them on with my B team with Shelbourne. I would would have been challenged by them, the whole tactical thing, the mental thing, the strength, the way they played. and so that's where I, I would have I would come across with that, and, and we were rivals, you know. I wanted to win the B division, which uh, we didn't actually. We were beaten in the playoff by Bohemians that year, seventy eight, seventy nine. But you know, I loved the competitive element of that Rovers narrow <laughs> matches, close matches. The Rowers, the little bit of a bit of flack might be flying, you know. There might be one of there. What was Dunphy like as a rival coach? Well, he was he, he was forthright, exactly, and he was he he was. Competitive, let's say, as we were, and dismissive of the opposition's efforts, I suppose, in many ways, because we weren't real pros, you know. But that's not how I how I saw it. Maybe I wasn't a real pro, and I had a a date, a real date, a, a real job, as I said, in the college. But my mind was constantly about football and players and teams and and training and making sure the training was right and the organisation was right and the fixers were adjusted properly if we could manipulate them in any way so that's 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 how it was so again that was it was it was part of my development as a as a, a coach and a manager that the b division of the league of ireland was quite strong at that time and the matches particularly among the dublin teams were, were very were, were tough at Lone were very good at the time because torlock at Lone had this spell where they won it may have won the league twice but they certainly won the league where the once that famous time they end up playing ac milan uh top of tony was the manager and and, and the dock would have been always strong in the B division as well. Waterford would have been strong at that time. So they, they were compared to matches. That, that, I didn't think it was a very clever move where the League of Ireland abandoned the B division. Now they, they, they know they need to bring something back like it. So they're allowing overage players to play in the under 19 league now, which is which is kind of helping towards that development of the young players, but it's not really good enough. One thing that I, I know about you for a fact, because you told me before, when well, I really want to revisit it, and that is uh, you you and Jack Charlton have got something in common, in the, apart from the fact that you both managed the Irish football team. You were both present at most or all of England's World Cup matches in 1966. Isn't that true? <laughs> yeah, well, he, he was present in a somewhat uh, more <laughs> intense way than I was. I mean, I was a, a schoolboy in short pants and still got, Tell me what happened. I had How did confirmation you get to be there? cap on me. <laughs> <laughs> While Jack was earning his caps, winning the World Cup and beating Jeremy the final. What happened was my brother, Frankie, now deceased, uh, same name as my father, my oldest brother, and a, a lovely, lovely bloke. But Frankie lived in London. He walked in London. He went to London as a, as a young fella to walk there. And um, he 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 walked in. He walked in a pub called the Gunnersbury Arms at that time, uh, nineteen sixty six. 
And somehow or other, he, well, well, tickets weren't hard to get. It may seem amazing to say this now. The World Cup is on in England and tickets weren't hard to get because Frankie wasn't involved in sport. He obviously would have been brought up in the in a, in a house where my dad was a famous boxer and boxing coach and he, he would have boxed a bit as a young fella. But I wouldn't have seen him as a bloke that, you know, was very, very involved in sport or loved sport or went to a lot of sport. He used to go to boxing and big fights and Henry Cooper in those days. And, um, but he, anyway, got a long story short, he would have rang my father. First match England played in the World Cup was nil-nil draw with Uruguay. Uh, I'm certain that was the first match. And he actually rang the house that night after the match. And he said to me, Dad, would, would you let the young fella come over? I'll, get, I'll try and get a few tickets for some of the matches. And within a day or two, I was on a, a plane to London, remarkably. I didn't a plane? The boat, a plane to London. Wow. And I don't know where the money came from for to make that happen. My brother lived over a shop in Acton Town, just beside Acton uh, Tube Station, which I have revisited in recent years. And I passed last week on my way back from the Chelsea-Leicester match. But I, I, he lived over a, a shop there with... Uh, there was three ladies who lived in the same apartment, one of them whom we married later, uh, one of the other girls was a sister, and they, 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 they were lovely people, but they were awful good to me. So it appeared that my brother was out walking a fair bit, and I was hanging around with, with whichever of the girls was there in the day, they'd be bringing me off different places. But I do remember going and visiting the sites of London with my brother between matches and going and seeing, and on and, and the day that's in it, and seeing the Tower of London and all the marvellous sites and Buckingham Palace and all the rest of it. And, um, but going to all the matches. And I went to the matches, not with him, I went with various people. But some of the matches were in White City, uh, dog track. Yeah. Now people might find that hard to believe. I think QPR may have played there at that time. They did. But yeah. but uh, but I, I I was at matches in uh, like the group was England, Uruguay, France, and Mexico. So I was at all the other matches in that group, and then England get to the the quarter final with um. Well, it was only sixteen teams then, so it went down sixteen down to eight, and the quarter final was the the famous match with um, Argentina and Ratten. The captain was put off. And were you there. at that match? I was at that. I remember it distinctly. I like the best story that happened that match is, um, the the match wasn't very good. It was a very very hot Saturday, I think, and but the big match that day was North Korea and Portugal, and. Uh, while the match was dull and there was various rows going on about whether Ratin was going to leave the pitch or not after the centre, there was a big scoreboard at the far end. Uh, there was probably one at the same end I was at behind the goal, but you could see the one at the far end. And the guys, had, the blokes had to go up and put the score up of the other match that was yeah. on the same time. So I could see the blokes in the white coats going along and it was Portugal versus North Korea but they walked by Portugal and went to North Korea and there was a big oh, in the crowd North Korea scored Pak de Wick well, maybe it was Pak de Wick but that's a name comes to me. I think it was Pak but your man puts up the score one you know and people are looking at it and then he comes back and the game goes on and then the lads are on the way again with a number this is like the old numbers in Crow Park yeah. where they did it. It wasn't a digital job. It was a bloke had one, one, one to nine, you know. And so he goes over again. The next time he, he turns it over and goes three. So now, now Korea are three up. 
And this is sensational stuff. But anyway, the story torn, Eusebio gets four and they win 5-3. But the amazing thing that I heard after that was the blokes that were on the job doing that were two blokes from Waterford that went over to London <laughs> looking for summer work, right? And they went to the employer. It was on, I had, they, they rang in. One of the a sister of one of them rang in. When I, I was telling the story, this story, on um, Off the Ball, I think one Saturday or today FM doing a match and after anyway his sister one of the lads rang in and said look that was my brother they went to London and they, count, they went to the exchange and they were offered work either to walk in a park doing the grass in, a, in a, a local park or they could walk at Wembley doing the scoreboard at the World Cup it was gas that they picked the World Cup gig wasn't it so, <laughs> so, so that was so I was at that one semi-final with Portugal brilliant match Bobby Charlton got Bobby Charlton, goals. Two goals. Yeah. Bobby Charlton won the iconic goal where he's striding in full yeah. pelts, lashing the ball, and that and the, the hair. No one used to often describe players after when we look at talking about blowing. So what's he's a bit of a Bobby bit of a Bobby Charlton, and that meant either bit that you had to scrape give it over hairdo, yeah. <laughs> but Ralph uh, Coates had one of those. Ralph Coates was another one, yeah. That was another one that always <laughs> described. What's he like? Now Ralph Coates was different to Bobby because Bobby was tall and elegant. Ralph Coates was small and yeah. Bit like us, a bit, bit of that shape. Bit I, like I, you, I, possibly, I, Brian. I'm, I, 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 I'm a thicker man uh, <laughs> so, than you so are. So Ralph Coates, uh, yeah. So uh, anyway, that was 2-1. And then I went to the tour place playoff, which was USSR against Portugal, Lev Yashin against Eusebio, late penalty. Uh, Eusebio scored. Yashin was a, you know, everyone's kind of knowledge of goalkeepers was about the great Lev Yashin, yeah. all black. Um, and that... And then the and the, and then the final itself for England. You were at that and final. I, I was at the final. I, not long was I at the final. I I was sitting up about. Um, I I was I'd say it was about ten or fifteen yards from, um, from the Queen. The Queen you know herself, yeah. Lord Rester, and uh, I don't know how my brother pulled out those tickets to this day but there was obviously stuff went on in the bar and maybe yeah. there was some fellas that were drunk forever free yeah. <laughs> in that I don't know how he, but he I, I always remember on the morning of the match he, he said look I have a bit of bad news for you and I, said, and I, was, I was standing there wondering what was this and he said um, I had to give your ticket away to another boy that needed it so I was about to cry and he said but I've got better news. I got a better ticket for you. The ticket for the final was two pounds and ten shillings in old English money for the final up near the Royal Box. How he did it, I don't know. But uh, hey, look, he, two pounds and ten shillings in those days was, was quite a, a lot was, of money. Was a lot of money, yeah, uh, in nineteen sixty-six. Mm. So there you go. That's the story. I was at the World Cup final and and. Uh, and I uh, got a bit of a goal for the game after that in terms of wanting to be involved in football. And uh, dare I ask, I mean, I've only ever seen the, you know, I've seen the images of, of the game and uh, the aftermath and all that, but what was it actually like being in the stand? It must have been extraordinary. Uh, yeah. like you, you, you know, kids are spoiled now and I was probably spoiled then by that. You, mm. you, you don't understand the game well enough to... To, but I think I had a fair idea of what was going on because I used to go to an awful lot of matches. I had the season ticket for, for Richmond Park, for St. Patrick's Athletic, and whatever matches were on, I used to go. There used to be an awful lot of cup finals, junior cup finals, pub 
the pub competitions all through the summer and I'd be down there any night that I knew there was a match so I understood what positions were and where players what shape they should be and that Jack Charlton should be a big tall fella looking like a giraffe playing centre half but then you have the stylish fella Bobby Moore playing behind him Cohen and Wilson up and down full backs and this was a new thing the 4-4-2 and Alan Ball no real no real wingers Hurston Peters but I was very sad Greaves wasn't playing Greaves mm. was my one of my heroes at that time Minichu Ginger Rook and Pats was a hero Dinny Lowry was, was a hero of mine and Pats but the goalkeeper but, 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 but in terms of pe people that you read about Jimmy Greaves was the one and uh, I, although he played in some of the earlier games he didn't play in the final and I was very disappointed about that but the match itself was sensational and you know the, the way the game turned and changed and the controversy was it a goal was it not a goal What did you uh, think at the time when you saw it or were you too far away Ah you couldn't no, no judgement but, the, but the, they made a decision quick, a lot quicker than VAR did <laughs> That's for sure. If our, if our was on, we might be still waiting the decision on it. it yeah. The lad, uh, the, he was a Russian lines man, wasn't he? he said, well, he said he, right, was right. Russian, he was Russian, but I think right. he was from uh, a far off place in deepest USSR. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, it is certainly uh, to this day uh, one of the top five iconic moments in the history of world football. That that particular goal. A lot of them seem to involve England. Maybe it's where we come from, the globe. But, we we uh, hear about them more <laughs> often. Than the, 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 the two uh, moments of, of Maradona. You mentioned just briefly, I just want to, want to touch on it, Jimmy Greaves. For for anybody who who doesn't know just how good Jimmy Greaves was, go on to YouTube. Several people have said to me, who, who who's you know older people whose opinions that I would really uh, value, said... You know, as far as they're concerned, Jimmy Greaves to this day is the best striker that England ever had. And that he was, he wasn't just a fox in the box. And he was an, ex like he was, there was a George Best quality to his play as well. He was exceptionally skillful, wasn't he? Ah, uh, yeah. He, he, he was a brilliant player. Again, I, I, you know, whether I, at that time, I I was I knew enough about the game to evaluate his skills, but I just loved him as a player. In fact, you know, I love sports at that time because I think they were the first time I saw. Like as most kids, you, why did you follow them? Was it because your dad? Not really, because what you saw on the telly. And I think the first cup final I saw was Spurs and Bournemouth and Spurs won 3-1 and Graves and Bobby Smith and I just and I liked the gear I liked the look of it the cleanliness of all that and but he was he was just a brilliant player and I think his life went on and he became a, a television personality and, and then his whole struggles that he went gone through maybe prior to that with alcohol and mm. so on he, he had a certain sympathy with the fella and identity and that he, he seemed like such a common man Man, that he and yeah, he was a genius, and yeah, he came across a common man yeah. who had a very his outlook on the game was very practical, and he he was wasn't one to take himself too seriously. I think either, although I think he, his style you would have appreciated. He was a very funny man and doing television. Uh, yeah. and the Saints and gravy stuff was brilliant stuff to watch on a Saturday morning. Yeah, I remember it. Yeah, it was very good. Uh, the, the feeling I sometimes have about Jimmy, Jimmy Greaves is that kind of like what you're saying, that the full gravitas of just how great a player and a kind of athlete he was was sometimes lost in the kind of comic 
sort of uh, milieu that he had, that he got into uh, with the Saint and Greaves that's, show, which was very fair. good. Yeah, but I sometimes fair. kind of couldn't quite reconcile because wait, when you look at him, and there aren't that many clips of him on YouTube, but I would just encourage anyone to look at it. it, it it's just he's devastating. He really is a truly world class. Player, I'm, I'm in an era of you know where centre halves could do what they like, uh, tackling mm. was the pitches were awful. Yeah. That's what you refer to George Best. That's what strikes people when they look back at stuff mm. like that. How bad the pitches were, but these players were just extraordinary in their balance, their coordination, their strength for not a big fella dealing with the the, the tackling and the the abuse they got and uh, his consistency. Over so many seasons, the the numbers he scored, the type of goals he scored. I mean, he got great goals and lots of different types of goals, yeah. running from far back, dribbling, going back. But equally, very clever, very uh, headers, loads of headers, glanced headers. Mm. Although he wasn't big this time. Anyway, look at you know. I mean, you know people that uh, and we talked about John Giles and Dunphy earlier. They would have played against him and they did have a, a probably a, another insight to him. From being close to him and so on, but to me he was just here, and I was disappointed playing the, in the World Cup final for him. And um, well, he's been, been kind of written out of history in that regard as well because of he what wasn't one with, of them, yeah, with Jeff Hurst and yeah, so on. And you can't, I suppose, argue ultimately with the decision you of just get three Thoreau the and all yeah. that. But they won. But uh, I, I, some, I sometimes feel a bit, a bit, uh, yeah, sorry that he's not remembered in quite the same breath. Uh, as some of the others uh, of that uh, team. Uh, Gilesy, by the way, says uh, uh, Bobby Charlton was, I think, the best player he'd ever played against. I think he described him. And I haven't seen enough of Bobby Charlton. He, he I know he was a great player. What did you make of him? Um, well, again, at that time, I mean, it, 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 we didn't get to enough matches. I, I used to be going to matches with those teams I managed in Crumlin. Uh, we used to go to... Blackpool at Easter for five days. I used to organise those trips and through the great Billy Bean, who was the scout for Manchester United, Billy Bean used to arrange tickets for me, for the players, for the kids, to bring them to Manchester United match for free. Extraordinary man. Oh. Uh, he, he a great man. And uh, we get to see Manchester United. We go to Manchester United Leeds. I can remember going and seeing Manchester United. What year would this be? This would be about 1968, 69, 70, that era. When, you know, when they were and still it was tough, really good. Brilliant, brilliant. But, 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 but my image of Charlton, I mean, I, we went to see Best really. <laughs> but Charlton was brilliant. Uh, but he was different. He was, uh, he was a more. I'd say nearly structured player compared to best was a, a regular, uh, a rascal. You, you knew what was going to come next, but you didn't know how he was going to do it. <laughs> I, like what I remember about best was it, there used to be almost a silence in the crowd when he received the ball mm. that we all have to watch very carefully now because now he's going to do something and invariably did it. I mean, it was just extraordinary that little skinny frame and the, the, the you know the long hair the balance the the, the jink the start with the jink then the acceleration then the sudden stop and come back it just it was fantastic so you know it was best law chart and that thing I, I, I saw them all and definitely best was my favourite law would be my my next 
and then Charlton because he was he 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 was English and he was he was reserved, but he was brilliant. But I loved him at that World Cup in '66. But as I saw more of the games, the game, went, and then I got to meet Bobby Charlton at times in my life. Mm. I I met him a couple, I don't know how many times, but I remember meeting him on a plane one day from Manchester down to London, and he was just lovely, absolutely. I I think I might have been manager of Ireland at the time, but he he was just lovely. Um, Lou McCarty, I used to be with Lou a good bit, and Lou would have introduced me to him, and he he was so respectful and 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 so just decent individual. I'm prepared to discuss the game with you at the same level, like I've got to discuss, discuss the same the game, the same level as Bobby Charlton. It was ridiculous, but he 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 was he well. Was that's a, a feeling lovely I get from some. He of is the, a lovely character. He's still. That's a feeling still I get going. from some of those uh, people. Uh, people like you know Jazzy and and uh, uh, well, I never met Bobby Bobby Charlton, but uh, I, I was told by somebody who was a chaplain who who was a friend of Matt Busby's, uh, and he said to me um, that people like Bobby Charlton, like he said, they they would talk about football all day, every day, like it's what their life was. Yeah, their life would have been making a living and trying to survive in the game in the early stage and get enough to pay for the family and have a, a reasonable lifestyle. I mean, the, the thing was at that time, there wasn't much difference between the lifestyle of the players then and the general public as compared to now where the players are earning extraordinary amounts of money and live in a total bubble, protected by the clubs, protected by their agents, minders and the whole lot. Whereas that time, you know, the, the lad who was going to play in the match might be likely to be on the same bus or yeah. train as, as, as the fellas who were going to be part of the 60,000 swaying up and down yeah. with cloth caps. So there wasn't such a difference between, and there were much more of much more ordinary, let's say, and the common man and in tune with the public who were going to see them play and, and who were going to pay in. And it was their, the, it was a Saturday game, which was generally three o'clock Saturday at the time, where escape from the drudgery mm. of the, of their lifestyles mm. and the hard work. And, and it was generally, it was a, a six-day walking week at that time, or at least it was five-and-a-half-day walking week for most people of, of that era. And they walked much longer hours than people do nowadays. So it was a difference. So, so they were, yeah, they were much more in, in tune with the public of the, of the, Mm. The the scrap that the public were going through, and they were trying to trying to get an extra few quid. I mean, we've often heard the stories of the various players saying, um, and, and stories. And John Joyce talked about dealing with Matt Busby about getting an, trying to get an extra yeah, few yeah. quid over, and being made feel lucky that you were being kept on, and maybe getting less money than you were getting before. Made feel that way, despite the fact that the ground was packed with sixty thousand people every week, and the owners were making money. And the players weren't, and the players were dangling on and where they lived and where they be kept on, and that whole system uh, that was in place then long bef long before the Bosman rule came in, where the players began to have the power then. Well, certainly had much more power than they had in that day. So you know they were good people and decent people and different. I think from lots of the modern players. Not saying lots of them aren't decent people, but they were different. Yeah, I know. Well, there's a different, you kind of get the feeling when you're looking back, uh, and particularly when you're online, as I said, I've mentioned YouTube a few times. All of these people, no matter how much uh, stars they, they were to me and so on, there's a sense I get of them 
that they are real people. Yeah. Whereas I don't always feel that way about the crew the now. Of that was, They're shiny there was and rich. A, there was a one, I came across a few years ago where there was a guy, uh, he was doing... He was doing he was doing interviews um in the street somewhere in England and he came across a bloke at a shopping centre and 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 he said, Will you be watching the game tomorrow? And he said, Oh yeah. He said, oh, who would you be? He said, Liverpool. And he said, Oh right, you have Liverpool. I said, I used to play for Liverpool. <laughs> this bloke was in the street. He was Tommy Lawrence, great Liverpool okay, goalkeeper yeah. for about 15 years. And your man just by chance comes around. Your man, he said, kind of with a shopping bag. No, he was good age mm. at that time, but he was Tommy Lawrence. I remember Tommy Lawrence. Liverpool for years he was the goalkeeper you know and he, he was just knocking about in the street your man happened to come across him so they were much more human characters I think yeah, yeah than I was in a restaurant in Houth uh, uh, where I initially came from and uh, I was sitting at the table and <laughs> coming back into the restaurant from uh, obviously a toilet visit was Nobby Styles. he was married was married to Giles, his, his sister, sister. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. and I remember looking. Uh, Nobby Styles is an incredibly iconic look to him, and yeah. uh, I remember looking and going, "I can't believe that's Nobby Styles. Yeah. I cannot believe that this guy who's in those images, <laughs> the World Cup final that you were at, uh, is now in the same restaurant." But when I was talking to him, and he he, I, I didn't talk to him that night, but I, I talked to him another uh, at, at a do, and he said to me. He started laughing and he really enjoyed the kind of the impressions of Dunphy and Giles and all, of yeah. all these. He kind of found it irreverent and, and funny. And, and, and he, he said to me, he, he said, I always wanted to meet you. Now, I don't, yeah. think, <laughs> but I, 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 I don't think he quite meant that. I, I think he just meant that guy who does my brother-in-law, Giles. Uh, but again. Brilliant bloke. Lovely bloke. I know that the story about, I'm sure you've heard the story about that game in the World Cup in '66 against Argentina, and uh, the um, the the I think it was uh, Ratten threatening captain, yeah. threatening to smash his teeth in, <laughs> and he says, "Well, they're already in wrapped up in a handkerchief <laughs> in the I've not got many left <laughs> in the dressing room." So you well, I, I sat with him at a dinner here, uh, black tie dinner. Well, it was. I'm not quite sure what it was for, but he was the guest speaker, which he was brilliant at. Yeah, he but was. But I was sat with him for the rest okay. of even, and he was just lovely, lovely person, lovely. Yeah. Again, I was in awe. You know, I don't think I mentioned to him that I was at the World Cup final, mm. you know, but I was in awe of sitting beside this oh, yeah. iconic person in, in, in English football history. But what a different person he was from the image people had him, had him, had of him on the pitch, the tough tackling, um, uh, aggressive, snarly little individual that could, you know, could demolish some of the greatest players in the game with his, with his style. And it was this gentle, lovely, smiley, uh, Comfortable man, I would have said. Comfortable to be yeah. sitting with, you know. And comfortable on his own skin, I get the feeling. Yeah, yeah. Very, yeah. very, very, very modest, decent man. Have you, by the way, seen the Netflix program called, a film called United about, it's set, it's based around Bobby Charlton. No. And very, very interesting. I know there was some people saying, oh, it wasn't like that and, uh, and so on. And I'm sure there was a certain degree of poetic license, but it encapsulates Whatever that thing about Manchester United is, the whole mystique, the whole sense of creation and theatre dreams and 
the ordinariness of these lads from Salford, the you know the 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 the, the fact that they were just lovers of f- football, it it does so brilliantly, uh, and it did. I, I saw it on the night uh, just before Liverpool they played the Liverpool match, and which recently, ever, yeah, which yeah, everyone thought okay. they were going to lose, and they yeah. they won. And I, I, but as I'd finished watching this uh, program, this this film, I thought Man United will be all right because that film encapsulates. What the United thing is, but right. I recommend it uh, to I anybody. I will uh, try to seek it out on your recommendation. Um, well, thank you very much, Brian. It's uh, it's been fantastic to have you. Why have regular eye tests at Specsavers? Well, they can help reveal health issues like diabetes and high blood pressure. Book an appointment online today.